Book Four, Chapter Sixteen of Clara Vaughan, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clara Vaughan, Volume Three, by R. D. Blackmore. Book Four, Chapter Sixteen. The next day I was a different man. All my energy had returned, and all my reasoning power. But not, thank God, the rigour of my mind, the petty contempt of my fellow men. Nothing is more hard to strip than that coat of flinty closeness formed upon Deucalion's offcast in the petrifying well of self. Though I have done my utmost, and prayed of late for help in doing it, Never have I quite scaled off this accursed deposit. This it was that so estranged your warm nature, Clara, a nature essentially like your father's, but never allowed free scope. You could not tell the reason, children never can, but somehow it made you shiver to be in contact with me. Petro and Marcantonia would have been astonished at my sudden change but they had lately dosed me with some narcotic herb procured by a special expedition from the Monte Rotondo, and esteemed a perfect stregomastix. So, of course, the worthy pair expected my recovery. No longer did they attempt to conceal from me the truth as to my poor infants, who had been carried off on the day of my return. What I learned of the great calamity which then befell me was this. Towards sunset, my dear wife, with her usual fondness, went forth to look for the little yacht returning from the Gulf of Porto. Our darling Harry, then in his third year, was with her, and the young nurse from Muro. Lily sat upon the cliff watching a sail far in the offing, probably our vessel. Then, as she turned towards the tower, a man from the shrubbery stood before her, and called her by her maiden name. She knew her cousin Lepardo, and supposed that he was come to kill her. Nevertheless, she asked him proudly how he dared to insult her so in the presence of her child and servant. He answered that it was her name, and she was entitled to no other. Then he promised not to harm her, if she would send the maid away, for he had important things to speak of. And thereupon he laid before her documents and letters. Meanwhile the tower was surrounded by his comrades, but they durst not enter, for the trusty fusilier kept the one approach up the steep hillside, and his grandson, a brave boy, stood at the loophole with him. The maid, however, with her little charge, was allowed to pass, and she joined the two other women in weak preparations for defence. The period of attack had been chosen skilfully. So simple and patriarchal is the Corsican mode of life, that very few servants are kept, even by men of the highest station, and those few are not servants in our sense of the word 
It happened this night that the only two men employed upon the premises, beside the old fusilier, had been sent into the town for things wherewith to welcome me. However, the faithful gunner, with his eye along the barrels, kept the foe at bay, and seemed likely to keep them there until the return of the men, while his sturdy grandson split his red cheeks at the warder's conch. But they little knew their enemy. Lipado della Croce was not to be balked by an old man and a boy. At the narrow entrance a lady's dress came fluttering in the brisk north wind. Poor Lily tottered across the line of fire. Her life she never thought of. What use to live after all that she had heard? Close behind her, and in the dusk invisible, past her wind-tossed drapery stole her scoundrel cousin, whom, like trees set in a row or feather-edged boards seen lengthwise, a score of lithe and active sailors followed. No chance for the marksmen. Like tiles they overlapped one another, and poor Lily, upright in her outraged pride, covered the stooping, graduated file. French and English, Moorish and Maltese, a motley band as ever swore. They burst into a hearty laugh at the old gunner's predicament the moment they had passed his range. All within was at their mercy. True, he kept the main gate still, and all the doors were barred. But gates and doors were lubber's holes for seamen such as they. Up the ivy they clambered, along the chestnut branches, or the mere coins of the granite, and into the house they poured at every loophole and window. One thing must be said in their favour. They did very little mischief. They were kept thoroughly under command, and a wave of their captain's hand drove them anywhither. All he wanted was possession of my children, and of some valuable property, which he claimed in right of his father. Having secured both objects, he ordered his men to depart, allowing them only to carry what wine and provisions they found. But the three domestics, and the ancient sentinel and his boy, were bound hand and foot, and concealed in a cave on the beach, to prevent any stir in the neighbouring hamlet. Poor Lily was left where she fell, to recover or not, as might be. My own darling was not insulted or touched. The men were afraid, and Lepardo too proud to outrage one of his kin. Moreover, his word was pledged, and they say that he always keeps it. Soon after dark the robbers set sail, and slipped away down the coast before that strong north wind which had so baffled me. But for me a letter was left, full of triumph and contumely. It was addressed to Valentine Vaughan, the Englishman. Signor Valentine was the title conferred on me by the Fusilier, and adopted by the neighbourhood. To my surprise, that letter was written in English, and English as good as a foreigner ever indicts. I can repeat it word for word. 
Sir, I am reluctant to obtrude good counsel, but with the obtuseness of your nation you are prone to the undervaluing of others. It is my privilege to amend this error, while meekly I revindicate my own neglected rights. From me you have stolen my bride and my good inheritance, and in a manner which the persons unversed in human nature would be inclined to characterize as dastardly and dissolute. Furthermore, you have rendered the heiress of the noblest house in Corsica a common Englishman's adulteress. If I had heard this on the day of your mocking marriage, not the poor victim, but you, you would have been my direction. Now I will punish you more gradually and longer as you deserve. Your unhappy adulteress knows the perfidy of your treachery, and your two poor bastards shall take refuge with me. The inquiry with respect to my drowning them to-night is dependent upon the stars. But if I shall spare them, as I may, because they cannot come between me and my property, I will teach them, when they are old enough, to despise and loathe your name. They shall know that in the stead of a father's love they have only had a vagabond's lust, and they shall know how you seduced and then slew their mother. For death, in my humble opinion, appears in her face to-night. Although she has betrayed me, I am regretful for her. But to you, who have disgraced my name and plundered me, as a man of liberal and exalted views, I grant a contemptuous forbearance. So long, that is to say, as you remain unhappy, which the wicked ought to be. Of one thing, however, I bid you to take admonishment. If I hear that you ever forget this episode of debauchery, and return to your English wife and property, no house, no castle that ever was edified shall protect you from my dagger. Remember the one thing. As your proverb tells, I am slow and sure. Lepardo della Croce End of chapter 16